Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels. Thank you for joining me on this sports podcast as we continue going now officially into October. Great show planned for you today, talking football, UFC, and some baseball. First up, it's Tom Weisenbach to talk NFL Week 4. A quarter of the season done. We can hardly believe it. The Rams stay perfect on Thursday night. Eagles stumble their 2-2. Two two. Brown lose a wild one and maybe controversial one in Oakland. And a lot of other interesting developments in the NFL. Tom Weisenbach is with me to break all that down. And then Jose Young's MMA writer. He's coming on the show to discuss UFC 229 between Connor and Khabib. Big fight card there. We break down the entire card, talk about what's going on in the UFC, and talk about some baseball. The playoffs are underway. Jose Youngs and Tom Weisenbach on the Money Mitch Effect. Let's start the show. All right, Money Mitch Effect, week four NFL recap. Tom Weisenbach, friend of the show, joining me again to talk some football. Tom, it's uh, it's good to have you back, although I know neither of us are too thrilled with yesterday's games. Yeah, it's good to be back. I'm a little unhappy in the NFL in general. I mean, the games have been great. The officiating has been sub suspect with the new rules, but uh, Eagles are good. Browns are good, trending up anyway. Um, I mean, it's, uh, it's still relatively early. So I like the fact that there seems to be quarterback depth. I'll start there with the positive. A lot of years I feel like we're looking at who can be a good quarterback in this league. Do we have enough? And then you watch some of these games and they're just terrible. But I think the young quarterbacks are coming in and playing all right, at least at the very least solid to start out. And even some of the backups that have come in in spot duty, the name of C.J. Beathard comes to mind, actually put together a pretty good game. So in one sense it's good that we got some better quarterback play, which we were lacking. But, yeah, the officiating has been – subpar the rules are one thing when you can't uh when you don't enforce or you have to enforce uh, a pretty terrible set of circumstances with that roughing the passer but just a lot of games yesterday with some bad calls it's we're going to get into but i do want to ask you about the eagles they lost yesterday to they lost to fall to two to two two and two on the season to the titans in overtime exciting game but one that i think a lot of philly fans are, are saying was there for them now at a two and two record you could probably look at every game and think that the outcome could have been different. This seemed like a game where the old criticisms of Doug Peterson, now Super Bowl champ Doug Peterson, came up where he got a little conservative. Do you agree with that? Do you think Eagles had chances to put the game away and just didn't do it? I think a lot of the times that he uh, leans on the defensive side of the ball to win games like that and clinch games like that, and it had it's it's come through a lot of the times. I mean, the, the defense had several chances on fourth down and overtime to, to win the game, fourth and 15 in particular, not, not guarding the, the first down marker is uh, the most glaring there. A lot, of, a lot of different penalties that stalled drives and, and really can't, you can't really do anything there. The offensive line uh, didn't perform. That's a really good Tennessee defense. It's underrated this year at this like point in time. Team, Their front yeah. seven is, has really stepped up. They have a, a pretty good secondary, which ended up getting some injuries throughout the game. Um, definitely winnable game. Um, very disappointed in, in the outcome, of course. Uh, Mariota showed kind of his his guts a little bit out there uh, with a bad wing, uh, put it on the line, running when he needs to to get 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 the job done. Yeah, I I also think cornerback play was a little suspect for the Eagles. The secondary needs to improve a little bit. It was good to see Jordan Matthews make his return and score a touchdown. 
the passing game is starting to come along, it's it's easy to forget that you know Wentz is still feeling it out. Like he's not going to be at an MVP quite level in his first. This is his game, preseason, but, yeah. essentially. I mean, that's why I'm still not very very worried about this team just yet. I know the defense concerned like. Corey Graham playing on the outside really mm-hmm. can happen there, and they do that a lot on fourth and long, where they put basically five, six D-backs on the on the first down marker and then play up. But these guys actually pushed them back a little bit and then turned around to to make that that play, and that 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 was the key play in the game, in my opinion. And it was, I mean, it's a good team. I mean, the Titans were a playoff team last year. Jalen Mills got burnt a lot too. He did get Corey Davis a lot. really showed why he was a top pick. But guys like Jarrell Casey in that front seven, I mean, they're they're underratedly good. And Mariota does make plays. And to, to heap some praise on the coach, I mean, and the team, I like Vrabel, what he's been able to do. I mean, he's a guy that we weren't sure. The Belichick coaching tree hasn't really been good. He gets his chance, comes over from Houston. What I really like is he's not making excuses. We're playing the Eagles, defending Super Bowl champs. We're going to fight. We play the game that they won against uh, was it Houston with playing Gabbert and then Mariota had to come in and they were running all those trick plays like they're gonna find ways to try to win I just think it's interesting too overtime was like two drives right like it was the Eagles went down long drive field goal and then the Titans with like a minute left score that touchdown yeah I I still have a problem with the overtime Mm -hmm. rules in the NFL there there were count there were three overtime games on Sunday (laughs) and both kind of came down to the final two minutes, I believe, because basically everything resets. You got the first drive, and you know the Colts could have punted, tied the game. Frank Reich obviously said he didn't do that because he's not doesn't play for ties, and and that may maybe cost uh, some betters out there some money. Oh yeah, well, well, then also like was the logic, and I was trying to figure this out last week. Is the logic that they think that oh because there's less minutes they're going to get more aggressive? That's just not really how football works. Like you're not going to just change your play calling. The fact that they give both teams an opportunity to go down the field and and it's pretty easy. You basically go back to your 15 plays to start the game, and that, right. you know the goal is to have a nice, sustainable, long drive, move the sticks, mm-hmm. get yourself into manageable third down possibilities, and then convert and, and get yourself in field goal range is the first uh, goal there, and then obviously punch it in and win the game is the second opportunity. There have been overtime games every week of this season so far, and... I wouldn't have been like surprised to see more. I'm surprised to see that there are not more ties thus far. Would, yeah, my change would be I would probably start the clock after that first team finishes that first possession at that point because what you're basically doing is letting that first team try to go on that long first 15 plays of the game, as you said, so they get a field goal or they punt it, and then we're already down to like five minutes, four minutes left in overtime. It just, yeah, it's just, just destroyed. My, or they should have I mean, kept it the way it was. I mean, I don't know what's changed. My, my rule – proposal for overtime in the National Football League is adopt I mean high school does from the 10 yard line the college ruled college does the 25 yard line move the NFL their pros to the 50 That's it's fair. not a chip shot field goal no like you still have to earn your your yards and, and kick a field goal if you have the opportunity and then you start from the 50 you get one series the other team gets the one series going the same way 50 yard line earn your money no clock yeah then either there that, you go. Either that or like linemen kicking field goals. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Try that. Like a home run derby would be a fun <laughs> way to end uh, extra inning games, things like that. I know. Uh, but uh, anyway, I think the Eagles are just are going to be all right. I'm, I'm still not sold on it. Divisional play teams. hasn't started for them yet. I'm and not, I'm not, I wouldn't be concerned until they start losing to the Cowboys, Giants, and Redskins. Yeah, that's that's where they are. A big win for the Titans. It is. It's uh, They're doing well. 3-1 and one now on the season. 
The other, the other overtime game in the division, though, Texans-Colts, it's going to be marred by what happened at the end of the game. I also want to point out that it was the best Deshaun Watson looked all season. Luck had his moments. Vintage Andrew Luck, it, by the way, as a as a perennial fantasy owner. I know. He, he has his early turnovers. Yeah. He gets his team down, rallies at the second half, throws the ball all over Free the yard. Styles. He's running around. He's uh-huh. bouncing off of dudes. Vintage He's, Andrew Luck in as far as – Chicken with his head cut off in the second. I half. love it though. He lost T. Y. Hilton late in the, in the game there, but um, or you know in the it's second true. half anyway. He's a guy that it doesn't matter if he loses players, like whatever happens, like and, and it's doesn't not, really need to have a great running you know. game in order to be successful as far as yards are concerned. And and you always seem to have confidence. Um, you know the Eagles played the Colts uh, previous week. I saw a mic'd up um, from inside the NFL on Showtime asking Zach Ertz, former teammate, How, how's Andrew in the two minute? He goes amazing <laughs> so that's kind of a testament to how how it happened and and that fourth down that kind of cost the Colts the game was completable it was I also think it's got a mess with the defense when he's just complimenting you on making a good play <laughs> like he's the inverse it still just gets me that he's just the nicest guy oh yeah JJ Watt was already helping him up before he even hit the ground at that point like yeah uh <laughs> he's just gonna be nice the whole time they got he got Clowney and, and JJ on on some hard counts a lot in that game they were gassed at the end of that game I think that's one thing to also look at is they they've been playing well JJ's back another guy recovering from injury uh is back and playing well but they were gassed at the end of that game yeah, tempo at the end of the first half really is where the Colts found their most success, I saw, in that game. And then, of course, tempo kind of from when they had to, uh, being down 11, I believe, for most of the second half, um, really got the Colts rolling and, and the Texans into trouble of having to rush the quarterback every 15, 20 seconds or so. I appreciate what Frank Wright was trying to do, but you just can't make that decision there. Because you have the ball on, what was it, his own 40-yard line, I think it was? It was in that area, yes. With 20 seconds left, we we know how this clock management works. Like, that's not enough time, or that's plenty of time, I should say, for the Texans to just line up a field goal and beat you. And there's no saying that there's going to be a tie there. What if he muffs the punt? What if Deshaun Watson throws an interception in that area of the field and you return it for a touchdown? What happens if if Lamar Miller ends up fumbling? Like, you're in – you then end up you know closer to where you're trying to be. Right. Maybe try and kick kick a ball higher and, and like, maybe you know do the old chuck it, kick it at somebody, you know, and, and make them. You know, fu- I don't know. There's so many more ways that yeah. can, that's a defeatist attitude to automatically assume and, that you're, you're tying not, the game. You're not in in Texan territory. You're not like one first down away from being in field goal range. You'd still have to keep it going. That's such a high risk for I'd say a little reward at that time. Because that pass was completable, but they're still two first downs away probably from getting in to realistic field goal range. I, I don't think many coaches, if any, agree with him that a tie they're, they're playing for wins and losses. Not to like mention, a tie is not as bad as a loss in your record. Not to mention they went for two earlier in the fourth quarter and didn't convert, and that kind of changed a lot of the what happened there in the game. I know coaches, the, the, the card go, says go for two there. Yeah, Andrew but, tried to run like a speed option play, and he didn't get in. Yeah. It it still didn't work, you know. Maybe that's you know twenty twenty hindsight, but but at the same time, a lot of the times these decisions come down to one point, and and you saw what happened. There's a lot of coaches that I think are in like a little out of the off the uh, radar, off the beaten path, and going for two. We've seen that a lot this week. the The Browns were one that went for two a couple times early in the first half, even in college in that uh, Penn State Ohio State game, which was pretty ridiculous. There was a couple two-point conversion calls in that one. 
I just think teams with this ball now, with the extra point moved back, you're starting to see teams go a little rogue there. And to, to wrap it back to Frank Wright, I mean, you got to take the tie there, or at least not go for it and take the logical In field goal range for the yeah. other team, it's yeah. It was a very suspect decision. And, and one more comment on the game is that the Colts continuously played this soft zone defense and really not showing Deshaun Watson many pressures. Maybe that was the game plan, but... They know. diced him it up worked. a good bit. I mean, the other I know they, he threw one interception, which is apparently an 18-game streak for him, um, Deshaun. And uh, I still, I mean, DeAndre Hopkins is still a beast, and, and they just played a very soft zone that Deshaun exploited most of the game. All right, NFL Rewind, Tom Weisenbach, Week 4, Money Mitch Effect. Let's talk about the game that got me going, Browns and Raiders. Raiders 45-42 victors. The NFL special. I, oh yeah, I don't yeah. think the NFL wanted to see the Raiders go and John Gruden go 0-3 in the black I hole. I did say it was the first time in a long time that it was not completed on red zone. The game went so long that NBC's had already start, NBC had already started their window. Close I had to the fantasy game. football group texted like 8.06 going, I guess they don't go till 8 anymore. And then no. next thing you know, five minutes later, they were off the air. No, they don't. Um, I'm not. I think we've known each other long enough to know I'm not really a blame the ref guy in a lot of sports. And... I am. I'll, yeah, I'll do no, it for you. That's why I'm bringing this <laughs> up. No, we, uh, the Browns Raiders had was a was a very exciting, sloppy. I think a lot of people watching this game realize these are teams that are probably not ready right now to contend, but have exciting players and can mix it up and put together a fun game. It was poorly officiated on both sides. There was a late fumble uh, that Carr had, 35-34 is the score, that they whistled inadvertently. But you know what? And, and it could have been returned a touchdown. I was upset at the time, but okay. Marshawn Lynch had one running down the sideline the first half where he never went down and, and could have kept going too. Those things happen. It sucks, but whatever. But to overturn a spot when the game is pretty much out of reach, like that's it. They get the first down. And regardless of time and context, Tom, we watch enough football to know, overturning a spot, you would think you have to be crystal clear, have substantial evidence. And you've watched the replay. I've watched it more times than I should. just wasn't there. I, that, that's the one that shocks me and ultimately – had a major factor in deciding this game. Yeah, I mean, it. I still wonder, not even during pivotal moments of spots of balls on, on plays of second and three versus second and four, things like that, <coughs> Excuse me. Um, where it's such an inexact science on spot and positioning of referees who are most of the time on the end lines trailing the play. Mm-hmm. How the heck are they possibly going to know You know what happened there on, on any given play? They do a darn good job most of the time. Right. Um, and replay is supposed to handle that, but at the same time, this is the same issue in baseball of the center field camera being slightly at an angle and you think something's outside versus inside. Uh, It's difficult to view where a spot actually is, and like you said, countless times, I mean, in Madden, you don't challenge a spot. (laughs) You don't challenge just because it's just so difficult and the percentages aren't there for overturning it. Now, there was the last two minutes, and, and it came from the booth and all bets are off with Al River on there and in, in the command center. But, um, yeah, well, that, I, that was the one thing that kept it from turning on the stripes in the field was that it did come from the booth. But I mean, again, like it's, it's, it's so tough to know exactly where the ball is. It's kind of like the hockey offsides rule where you don't, unless you have that camera angle right on the line, which they've done a really good job at lately. They have, I, I just, it's supposed to catch the egregious ones. If it's close, and you're not for sure. We know the L line isn't official. Those stand 99.9% of the time. This was the .01 time. This is the .1 time where it just didn't. So 
It sucks. It's unfortunate. Having said that, the Browns did have opportunities to put the game away, and they didn't. Baker Mayfield, we can start with him. Had a good game. Had a sloppy game. Made some rookie mistakes that I think, if we're not kidding ourselves, we all expect young quarterbacks to make. I was pleasantly surprised with his performance. Selfishly, you want more down the stretch. Took some chances. Fumbled one. uh, Had two fumbles lost, one of which was under center. I think that's just repetition. I don't think he's He doesn't do under center. And that might be a Hugh Jackson special, which I don't want to get into anymore. I'll just get myself tired. But, you know, the offense played well. The defense had their moments. Couldn't get stops when they needed to. It sucks that they lost. I'm really, really upset with the officials, but they also have a lot in their own locker room to kind of shore up too. One, two, and one isn't the best start to the season, but it's not 0-4. <laughs> yeah, you're right about that, boss. Um, <laughs> I still, I be, I'm a believer in the Browns. I, I really like what they've done uh, surrounding uh, a pretty good nucleus with the talent. A lot of people have been <coughs> wanting to play there, like Jarvis Landry's there. You know, Miles Garrett. Is, oh, he's is, a stud. He's a stud. Calway's fitting in. He, he makes those, like, <coughs> mistakes. He doesn't run the cleanest routes. His hands are a little suspect, but he gets open. And he's got deep burner he, speed. He has potential to be a pretty good player. I really, uh, I also. Le- I, mean, what, I mean, does Josh Gordon help you in that game at all? No, no. Okay. He's a, uh, I've said my piece on Gordon, but essentially if you can't really rely on a guy and you're not in a position of strength where you're contending immediately and just need him to complete the puzzle, his contract's up. They could never trust him to give him the big deal that he wants. So you got a stable of running backs. Yeah. You got you got Chubb some had, pretty good skill players. There's I mean, the <laughs> offensive line. Uh, Joe uh, Thomas. Did you see him going nuts at the end of that yeah. uh, that win there? Um, oh, yeah. Really, I mean, they're trending in the right direction. I don't think this loss this should discourage you. It's a tough place to go and win. It was a winnable game, similar to how I feel about the Eagles. And this, I mean, it's a drastically different situation where. One's coming from the top of the mountain, kind of down the mountain. The other one's coming from the bottom of the mountain, trying to, to trudge their way up. Mm-hmm. Um, tough division, winnable division this year. It is. Um, the Ravens are probably the top, um, and and the Bengals, they're both playing their average selves. And, and I think the, uh, the Browns have an opportunity to make a play if they can get some wins in the division. I have thoughts on the division. I'm going to save them for a second. I just also want to point out, Nick Chubb's 105 yards on three carries. <laughs> That's, I mean, oh, yeah, as a uh, Carlos Hyde um, yeah. owner in fantasy football, I was happy to see the, the, the touchdown late in the fourth quarter. Yeah, he got you one there. Uh, and I will say the one thing that kept me positive, I watched this game on TV through four quarters, had to drop a friend off at the airport, had the game on radio, so I'm luckily serious, so I'm able to find all the channels. Usually I try to scroll see what the Browns announcers are. First time I've ever done this. I stopped before I got there and listened to the Raiders broadcast. It's Brent Musburger. I had no idea. Oh, really? Brent I guess they're setting up the Vegas uh, Raiders. <laughs> I, for, I remember hearing that in passing that he was going to be the Raiders guy. I'll, you know how we are with like you want to hear your guys. You want oddly enjoyable. Like I, I was I, by the end of that game, even with the Browns losing and self destructing, I found I found myself entertained. He wasn't overly homerish on the Raiders. He, That's an occupational he, habit for he, working for national broadcast for <laughs> as long as he has. Yeah, he explains stuff pretty good. He was that eccentric old Musburger self that if you're a new fan, you might find ridiculous, but we've listened to him so much. Mm-hmm. And he had a great call where he, at the end he was just saying, ring the bell, baby, like it's going nuts. And like, I'm, I'm so they got rid of the touchdown Raiders. Yeah, yeah, a lot of Raiders fans are upset about it, which, hey, I get. I'm not a Raiders fan. You guys might have grown up with him. But well, he's a Bay Area guy. I know he does a lot of um, just the saying, Bay Area sports. It though. wasn't the most – 
clinical broadcasting, <laughs> but from an impartial and uh, just that's a side fan. gig for him. He's yeah. a bookie now, isn't oh, he? Oh yeah. He mentioned they did like have they did score updates. He mentioned like spreads like ten times, like every <laughs> every game. Oh yeah, he's immersed in the in the and he's going to be great for that South biggest Point. market. South Point Casino. We'll have to make a road trip one of these times. Mm-hmm. All right, Money Mitch Effect Week Four NFL Rerun. Keeping it going here with Tom Weisenbach. You mentioned that AFC North division. The primetime game was the Steelers Ravens, and man, you get good Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers. You get bad Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers. And last night was a dud. Ravens winning comfortably. The news today broke that Le'Veon Bell is going to come back after the bye week, week seven. So I guess I'd start with this. Another bad performance by the Steelers, but if you're these other teams, my Browns included, I look at that as a target like, hey, let's try to get a jump on this before Bell comes back. I know the Steelers aren't a perfect team, but you have a team that is in clear disarray, both offensively and defensively. I think you have an opportunity to really dig them deeper into the grave a little bit. Because when Bell comes back, I expect this team to be better. As much as I don't like the Steelers, Tomlin turns stuff around later in the year. Yeah, it's still a lot to see how Bell comes into the facility. He's not going to be magically amended with all of his teammates after a week. I know he's going to give them a better chance to win, of course, being on the team and in the in, you know in the building and whatnot. But they... At the position, they, they still have had the production that they would have had from Bell. You know Ben's leading the league in passing yards right now? I did not know <laughs> it's, that. It's, it's it close. was him and Ryan Fitzpatrick yeah. that were running there, so it's a skewed stat, of course, of, yeah. with, Matt Ro- with Matt Ryan, who you know chucks the ball around yeah. uh, well, yeah, in his sleep. It, if we look at it, it's and I think Ben, the, Goff, Cousins, Carr, Fitz are the top five. And, <laughs> and you'd think, well, I mean. Who's going to be the five at the end of the year? Brady? <laughs> Goff will be there. Got, uh, of course, yeah. and I actually think Cousins, based on what I've seen and based on how that Vikings team isn't as good as last year, we can talk about. Still helps to throw. To we can talk about the Vikings and how and you know we can, ta- we can talk about Cousins and how like he might not be the best, and and the Redskins moved on from him, and a lot of people thought okay, he's kept that he kept them in that game against the Rams. The Rams were owning him on defense; they couldn't run the ball. I, I think Cousins has a game that. Best case scenario, he doesn't have to do what he did, but I think they're going to be in a lot of shootouts. That defense doesn't get better. So, well, they have their issues with uh, the defensive lineman who has yeah his own issues I, that that may be a distraction to that side of the ball. Could very well. Um, I mean, you don't lose the Bills though at home by twenty points or whatever. <laughs> like that. I that's mean, one of those NFL look ahead games because obviously that was the greatest upset in twenty five years from a gambling perspective. Well, I mean, <laughs> the team had Thursday night football against the Rams on their mind. Mm-hmm. Let's be serious here. They didn't think that they, they you know, LaShawn McCoy's not there, rookie quarterback. This is a joke. Yeah. This is singed up. Like I hear you, but, no, and I agree with some of that. A good team has to win that game. You're so absolutely bad. right. Did you see that Packers game? It I was did. like, the final was like, 19 nothing. 19 nothing final. Rodgers, this is how bad it was. Rodgers came off the field disgusted, said we did, we definitely didn't look like a playoff team on offense. <laughs> After <laughs> yeah, a they're treating it like win. a loss. Like it was, the Bills couldn't complete a pass. Allen had no protection, and uh, yeah, well, it was a pride yeah. game for the for them against the Vikings. Let's be real. I mean, it's an NFL squad. They're professionals. Then then they were pissed off. I think the Bengals are the better team between them and the Ravens right now. I think the Browns are coming, but we're. We're not polished enough to, and not well coached enough. I want to throw that out there again to make our serious run at the division, even with the Steelers down. I would take the Bengals, not just because they beat them head to head over the Ravens. Big win for Andy Dalton going into Atlanta. Another Atlanta special, not finishing, but Dalton made the throws late to win. 
I would say Cincinnati has always had a steady amount of talent on that defense. So if you can get some sort of identity, they got the new coordinator now. I think Lazer is their quarterback uh, coordinator, and I think you have seen a little bit of a difference with Andy Dalton and, and how they've called plays. And I would say mixing back. I like Cincinnati to win this division now with about only about ten or eleven wins. No one's going to run away with it. Yeah, it's going to come down to the wire. I probably still go with the Ravens based on on them. Uh, Based on nothing. Let's be real. <laughs> it's a coin flip in this division. I mean, it could be the Steelers still. Honestly, they're still only a couple couple games back, and Bell comes back. They could they could easily find it. And it's they're diff- matchup nightmares out there. If you get the Killer Bees and Juju Smith Schuster rolling. Underrated signing uh, in all free agents that we talk about big names in football getting signed. John Brown to the Ravens. He's a he's a good target. Absolutely. For them. You know, they add him. Really Sneed, too. Yeah, they, got, they reloaded their receivers. And Crabtree, yeah. I think they got some options there. Uh, that NFC South, we mentioned that Bengals win, but the Falcons losing and, and, and falling on the season to what, now one and three? Yeah. Man, I uh, Great numbers, but geez. And a lot of games, they could have won pretty much every one of their losses. Like, <laughs> they could be 4 0. The wounds of last year's playoff loss. Manifest partly. Calvin Ridley's a monster. Yeah, the, I, I think one narrative that's not true. It was week one against your Eagles. I have another bad red zone performance. They've actually been pretty good in the red zone the last three weeks. That's not been the issue. Ridley is a monster long term. Obviously, you want Julio in the fold for as long as possible. You're okay even if he's not in the fold as long as possible with Ridley stepping up. Their biggest issue is being decimated with injuries on that side of the ball, more specifically at the safety position. And they're secondary. They're, they're just gutted. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to have depth two, three deep at a position like safety in the NFL. So they've just been targeted by these passing teams. And it's tough to win in the NFL, even at home. And I just, I don't know with that division. You fall behind one and three, it's going to be a, a steep climb all the way back up. Yeah, that division's always tough. The Panthers and the Saints waiting in the wings. Um, the Bucks the Buccaneers... Kind of it started great. I, I think they're the Jameis run will not be good. Calling I, my I shot agree. right now. <laughs> Just, I agree. It's gonna be they're gonna fall back down to earth. I know Fitz. Um, Fitz was seizing his opportunity earlier in the season. Was, was he the reason they lost that game? I mean, come on. You gave up six touchdown passes to Trubisky. You got destroyed on defense. I know Fitz didn't play great. No, he's not the reason. They were looking yeah. for an opportunity to exactly. get their guy that's, in that's there. That's all this was. If it's any other quarterback in the league, they probably would go to the backup by the end of the game. Like a goalie in hockey, just get him out of there. They he was the reason they lost the previous game, though. If he doesn't throw those three interceptions, yeah. he but he brings he, them back. He it's brings the, them back, but you yeah. know it's just like Andrew Luck. You got you dig your hole. You can't get yourself eighty yeah. percent of the way out of there. You got to get yourself all the way out. Tampa ran into a Saints team that I just think wasn't ready to play week one, and then the second week when they played the Eagles, and maybe a little of the same. I, I do think that going down to Florida was a pretty warm day. Fitz took his shots early against. A secondary that wasn't really on top of it, and he didn't have Wentz. I, st- I, I mean the the Buccaneers signed a lot of former. They, I mean, well, they have Vinnie Curry, Bo Allen, yeah. former Eagles defensive lineman. If you saw Hard Knocks, which he did, Michael Kendricks, aside from insider trading, did a lot of insider trading as far as the Eagles tendencies, yeah. and and he was spot on. And I think that that Bo Allen, Vinnie Curry, took so a lot of that. Tr- you took that deciphering of the oh, absolutely. Yeah. A lot of what everything that he said was spot on. Yeah, hit hit Ertz repeatedly. I think Ertz hasn't like, broken a tackle his yeah. entire career. <laughs> I figured because I remember before, like he was one of the one of the uh, lightning rods. 
because he's a great athlete. But, yeah, that, that's what I heard as well. Kendrick's great player. They forced it to him a little bit in this game. I'd like to see a little bit more Dallas Goddard going forward um, if in, in the Eagles' offense. But that's a moot point at this point. I still think the Buccaneers are, are good, but they're not going to be contenders in the division. The Saints are the team to beat in that division, in my opinion. With the NFC North, the Bears division, there's a sneaky good gambling play on the Bears to win this division. I would say, yeah, the value is probably there. Even, even I don't know what it is. We don't have the odds in front of us, but even with the best record in the division, I would be, I would guarantee you they're not favorite right now. <laughs> yeah, there's no way they're ahead of the Packers. Clay Mack, probably, man, he transformed whatever it's chances they had. Ridiculous. The guy is just a full-on stud. He has been since his days in college. I don't want to pile on the Raiders. Everybody's done it. It's kind of cliche at this point, but you don't need. It's almost, it, is a, it is a throwback to the Bears we grew up with. It's so funny. You don't need Trubisky to be that great. Mm-hmm. You need to make a couple plays, get the run game going. You can win a lot of close games. They, this game was just, I, I think, just an outlier. I think it's going to be a lot like how they beat the Cardinals by one score, You know, beat a good team by one score. It's going to be just a lot of close games. Play down and play battles. up to your competition. Yeah, I think, I mean, the Packers, <laughs> they are asking Aaron Rodgers to just be God again. On one leg. And we don't know what the status of his leg is. And it's not going to be solved by a bye week. No. No. That's uh, It's going to be lingering the entire season. Exactly. That's a... I would be shocked if he doesn't have a... He should have sat down against the Bills. I think I think that benefits. I don't... But I uh, I honestly don't. I think it's just... It's going to need an operation at some point. So one week, two weeks even, not going to make a difference. He's just going to ride this out. It's a shame. Man... Wasting his career, too, because I think the rest of that team is just no good. Wasting his career, uh, a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Yeah. You know, he, you know. But if he's on, I mean, you do think, like, if he's on a better team, a better structure, mm, could be could be. What other better. team would have the structure that and Aaron Rodgers could I handle? Also just is think, that, I mean, I guess maybe the better way to put it is consistently give him a better defense. I think that's fair. That's where, yeah, I mean, you'd have to be – Defense, and I'd say the running game. Put him on the Giants. Style. He's had weapons to throw, too. It's still the same team yeah. Yeah. that well, the Packers have. That's a, that's a very He's got example. more weapons. I mean, about yeah. the same amount of weapons, maybe more. True, true. Um, I was having thing. the discussion with, with my girlfriend, Brenna, who yeah. has been on the show. Um, mm-hmm. Whose career would you rather have? I mean, not career if you take Super Bowls out of it or whatever. Phillip Rivers versus Eli Manning. I still – I don't think – Philip Rivers is a Hall of Fame quarterback. I think Donovan McNabb has done more in his career and Ooh, and, and, oh man. Is, okay. and is not a Hall of Fame quarterback. Okay. And this may be a discussion for another podcast, yeah. but it was. Really? I feel like they're very similar beasts I, in that wasted career yeah. scenario of, of Philip Rivers. And, and Eli Manning has the two Super Bowls not on the backs good, of yeah. the defense. And not as good as the other two. But right. I would say Rivers is a Hall of Famer. I, I put him slightly above Donovan, but I, I, you could convince me Donovan a Hall of Famer. I don't think either are going to get in. Phillip, I don't think, is going to get in for a few years after his – I mean, he's not a better quarterback than Kurt Warner who had to wait a few years. And I don't want to get into just the ridiculousness of these guys that have had to wait, but you do have to wait. Mm-hmm. Just the nature of the I case. just think that Donovan had more success in his career long term. I don't know. Yeah, fair. Uh, I do want to mention one other thing about this past sun, uh, this past Sunday. Marred by a lot of things. Unfortunately, injuries was a great part of it. We saw Earl Thomas get hurt in that god-awful Seahawks-Cardinals game. <laughs> Tyler Eifert with one of the most gruesome injuries, breaking his ankle. Speedy recovery wishes to him. But even some defensive injuries. Titans player dislocating his uh, elbow pretty bad, it looked like. 
and uh, Browns defensive back Mitchell, who's probably going to be out for the year with a forearm fracture. So a lot of injuries. This sucks. It's like you we noticed this just watching the game on like games on like red zone or any game. The scroll is just constant injuries left and right. And games are constantly being kicked commercial with guys. You know, even if it's down down for a play, it's it's just it's guys who are constantly. Um, I not feeling th- great. Yeah, I do think there is a, and I'm not in any do, any way don't want this to be construed as players that are just freaking out or like hypochondriacs would be the appropriate word. But there's that got to be that shock for these players because a lot of times they're laying there like, oh God, what happened? Like, I see all these other guys getting hurt, mm-hmm. and they need that reassurance from the trainer, like it's going to be all right, like you're good, to, you're good to get off. Yeah, I mean, on the defensive side of the ball, a lot of the times it's fatigue. Uh, That's true. That still exists. Uh, fatigue still exists, and on the other side, it's your training. I mean, this is both sides of the coin here, where you're training so much and you're so strong and you're so fast that that sometimes you're gonna you're gonna get hurt for being too strong and too mm-hmm. too fast and too you know what whatever. So I don't know if it's the playing surfaces with these broken ankles and and the, the cleats and it, it's a you know myriad of different things where you know it could be weight bearing on certain areas. The the game's still a brutal game. The other thing that I would say factors in is, on, especially on the defensive side, is is the thinking while you're playing. Yeah. And, and with the rules as they are, where defensive players specifically still have to think about what the repercussions are for this move that they've been taught instinctually. Yeah. I saw a player last week get hurt on the Dolphins off for the year trying to avoid landing on the quarterback with his body weight. And you saw it sack in the... Um, so Packers maybe the brain Bills is game. safe, but but the body itself well, isn't. It's it's gonna make for and these soft tissue football. injuries happen too. The hamstrings and and the yeah whatever broken bones are one thing. Soft tissue injuries are another thing. Concussions are a third thing. I mean, plays unfortunately plays like Tyler Tyler Eifert. Those are just Ronald random Darby bad luck. Like you're, you're gonna have plays like that. It sucks. It's awful. Again, speed recovery to him, but you're gonna have guys break their break their bones out there randomly. Like it, it just happens. It's part of the game. You're never gonna have. A non-violent, completely non-violent game of football. It's just not going to happen. And the ACL tears is, I mean, that's another part of the game, too. So I have some thoughts here on the Money Mitch Effect with Tom Weisenbach about the Earl Thomas injury and, and that whole situation. I do want to say props to the Seahawks for battling and winning a game where they didn't complete a third down, which is just incredible. And Rosen looked all right. So there's there's something there. It's not Sam Bradford. That's step one. Rosen might have Boy, a little bit of a future. A thief. Just... I gotta, I you know, you see a good enough thief, you just gotta applaud him at a certain point. Like, <laughs> give him credit. Earl Thomas gets hurt out for the year. Sucks for a lot of different reasons. At the very one bottom of which of the not list, being traded yeah. to the Eagles. Bottom of the list was it didn't sound like Eagles. It sounded like Cowboys, Chiefs. Somebody was gonna this make was, a move. You know, yeah. in the uh, uh, immediately after, rides, yeah. <laughs> Tom Wise about group text <laughs> after a loss like Earl Thomas, <laughs> Le'Veon Bell. Of course. Let's go. Yeah. Surprised we still haven't signed Dez yet. Yeah, Dez. Yeah, he said nice things about Carson Wentz, and it's like, whoa, sign him. Like, well, Alshon's healthy. Yeah. He would have been in that yeah. role. But go back um, to your point, the injury sucks, and it, it sucks for a lot of reasons. And I understand that the middle finger was directed at the Seahawks bench. They didn't pay him. He's out now. He doesn't have a deal. Probably done as a Seahawk. And I get the frustration, and it sucks. And Seattle's front office probably should have held it differently. I'm never going to defend someone for just flipping a bird on national television, especially with the amount of people that watch the game, but I get the frustration. My bigger picture point is this is why I think there was probably going to be another lockout, or at least a very close threat to one the next time. Because by the letter of the law, the 
players agreed to these terms that the that the owners can do this. It sucks, but I and I get his frustration completely. I think it was a heat of the moment mistake though to throw that bird at, at his own sideline, which was pretty bizarre. Yeah, it's a strange situation that that kind of crept up out of nowhere. You see the Le'Veon Bell descent well, with it, the team versus Earl Thomas's descent with yeah, the team versus I, other other players' descent with the team. And let me ask you this though: Do you think there's any part of this where he wasn't practicing? He was missing multiple days of week during the week, and I know they don't really hit in practice, but you think that could have been anything to where a guy just was trying to just go basically straight to the games and this could have maybe factored into it? It's possible, but at the same time, in the collective bargaining agreement, they're restricted for how long they're on the field as it is, right. which could attribute to your larger issue of injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have much of an opinion on this issue. Uh, overall, Thomas, um, I, I think that the the divide between owners and players is probably as great as it's been in a long time, um, stemming from the national anthem issue, and, and that kind of just shed, shed a light on on the differences between ownership groups and and the way things work. I, I mean, this is a sport where they're not guaranteed a contract, but they're expected to go out there and play when they're supposed to. It's they're signed to a contract, but the team can breach the contract at any time the player is is a leper if he does yeah i mean and that's and and to your point yes it, it could lead to another lockout mm-hmm. and there's really no easy solution the sport itself is kind of in trouble well the Le'Veon bell thing too i think that is a direct response to what happened with demarco murray in dallas that last year where he now retired at 30 years old where he didn't have a deal, he went and played, and they just ran him into the ground. That record is still, he carried it over 400 times, mm-hmm. still the all-time record by a lot of carries in the season. And I think Bell said, no, you're not going to waste a year of my prime without a deal and then just not pay me. And now he's, I mean, he's been suspended for the first six games most of his career anyway. He hasn't played a full 16 mm-hmm. games ever in his career, but still is up too. there with the usage. So Crazy. I, I just, I, I get the players' frustrations. That I, I think it's a bigger picture thing, and it's hard to fully fault the Seattle front office for not playing it safe. And, and they haven't paid anybody. Like Richard yeah. Sherman would still be there if they really believed. He, like, all, all Pete Carroll has the college mentality. I mean, uh, he's been quoted as saying it's just like your senior class leaving <laughs> and you had just have to reload. That's a good and, idea. And it is what it is, though. Can you believe, though, that dynasty is pretty much over? Like Russell Wilson, the last one staying. Like if you just said, what, three, four years ago where this thing oh, would yeah. be? Won Super Bowl and could have won two, but then it just fell off completely. Shows how quickly that the the National Football League teams can can kind of fall off a cliff. And, and the lightning in a bottle you have to catch with the nucleus of guys who really love each other to work oh. together and, and, and win the, win some games. I should got the Patriots. Then you could be all right most of the year. <laughs> yeah, they reload pretty well. Well, in this game, that was the most, I think, expected game. Like It's funny to say like a 1-2 and two team is just going to probably roll through a 3-0 and o team. Dolphins hadn't really played anyone tough. No one was believing the Dolphins yet. New and England coming in a little desperate. Like, come on. The Dolphins have happening. beaten the Patriots in the past, of course, and most of the time it's it's a sneaky game where the the, the, the Dolphins aren't good and, and the Patriots kind of look past them and the Dolphins come, you know, it's usually in do, in mm. Miami where the issues kind of uh, manifest themselves. you got to stomp on their throat. you got to basically treat them like Jason in those movies where you're up two games now in the division. Congratu- congratulations, you're up two games on the Patriots in week four, you gotta you got to stomp them out early because if they're lingering around, they're just going to pass them anyway. And the Dolphins knew that they had a game. Uh, they could, they, you know, obviously, they could still technically go 15-1. and one. 
I think that mindset creeped in, too. If they didn't play this game like they needed it, the Patriots did. It was a thorough whooping. Even with Gronk doing Patriots very little. Patriots last week. Let's be honest. I know Bill Belichick does not like to lose to his former assistant coaches. Especially one like Patricia that, I mean, I just, I, that was a weird game because he actually coached well against the Patriots. You <laughs> see the, the only Cow- team he's coached well against. The Cowboys game, which I know it, it pains you to see the boys win any week, but they won. Dak played well for the, probably the first time all season. Zeke was going well. Patricia, again, was like calling timeouts early, extending the game we didn't need to. And I just. Those, I, uh, those troubles for him were apparent in the preseason games where he was calling timeouts at the wrong times, not really knowing how to manage the clock. Things that he hasn't been asked to do in his career as a coach just yet. Stafford, 307, no, no picks, like 75% completion percentage, three TDs, and a loss. It just sucks. Ho-hum. We're all gonna they don't have a running game. Ho-hum. They still have it. I actually think if they can just commit to carry on Johnson, he could be the guy. But it's been what people have been saying for five years. Yeah. Well, not yeah. to carry on Johnson, no, but commit to the running game. I think they actually have. Maybe I'm wrong here, but I think they actually have somebody who can run the ball finally. But they do have to. Yeah, it's it. called Legarrette Blunt. <laughs> I know. Sad to see him not there it's anymore. Sad yeah. to see him not in, in Eagle Green. It was good. Well, Especially with when you have a. Or number one running back with a broken bone who's going <laughs> to in his back that's going to tough it out the whole year. Well, as we wrap this up, I also want to point out it's just I, I don't think Charger fans exist. <laughs> I just I don't. I know it's one thing when like the Eagles or even the Browns or the Giants or Chiefs come into town and bring these big fan bases. <laughs> okay, I named like four teams and they all have really good fan bases. The Niners just lost Jimmy Garoppolo. Probably not going anywhere this year. I think it's safe to Those say. Those tickets were bought way ahead of time, and you know that. Yeah. The Niners fans were very excited going into the season. They see that okay. they're coming. I, I went to a Rams game, to be fair, a preseason game against the Texans. Walked around the concourse and, and wanted to find out how many different jerseys. This is contrast because we're in LA. How many different jerseys we could find. Mm-hmm. The number we found was about 25 different teams were represented in the <laughs> every single team was in that stadium represented by one fan at least from from a different franchise it's crazy what's funny is that every Steelers fan was met by a Raiders fan. <laughs> uh. but that's just to your point that yes that I mean that's a Rams it's a Rams town right now they're hot they're good they're best they, team in the league I mean right through four games they have Hollywood's attention and the Chargers yeah. there's n- they're still the San Diego Chargers with just the a Los Angeles moniker they lost them. their San Diego fans and didn't pick up any major fan base except for the people who are seizing on the opportunity transplant oh, as just an like investment just yeah. jump in now yeah makes sense do you think after tonight well we won't know but the game's about to start do you think there'll be two undefeated teams left or just one I like the Chiefs still until Patrick Mahomes can show any sign of weakness. They have way too many weapons, man. and I always say this most September's, October is hit, so we'll see what happens with Andy Reid and the Chiefs. But, uh, do you get flashbacks, or do you think it looks better than young Donovan and Andy Reid that oh burst? Oh, my gosh, it looks so much better. They never had a Tyreek Hill character. I, let's, uh, it's been yeah. – I mean, there's plenty of pl- players, but – Kareem Hunt, Tyreek Hill, they have Sammy Watkins now, I believe. Yeah, is that so? The the two big. I get Sammy Watkins yeah. and, and uh, Telvin Benjamin. The two, yeah, the two big uh, similarities I've noticed are how he uses his running backs, Kareem Hunt, just being versatile, and that tight end. I mean, he of loves course, he loves, loves his tight ends, and Kelsey's great, and I feel like he's open all the time. 
on this offense. So it'll be exciting. I think Denver is a tough team, though. And this is a rivalry I haven't seen game. enough of Denver, and, and their defense the, isn't the no-fly zone that it was it's, in the past. It's so that's weird. the only thing that we'll see tonight. Their secondary is not as good. still good, not as good. Their, their pass rush is better than maybe it's been. You, had, you added Bradley Chubb to a crew that involves Ron Miller. Case Keenum is just – I, mean, I think they're going to get into a lot of games where it's going to be in that 2017 range of Keenum just like how they beat the Raiders, just doing just enough and – Winning a lot of dog fights like the Bears. This is a this is a more of a test, I think, than Mahomes has had to deal with recently. I'm I'm intrigued. I put the Chiefs at number two behind the Rams, but yeah, I'm with you. I think they hold on. I think it'll be a close one. So. Yeah, right now it's Chiefs Rams in the Super Bowl. That used to be the uh, battle of Missouri when I was in college. They play in the preseason every oh, year. Right. No one would really, no one would really care. That's and now they're the two best teams. But we'll see. A lot can change. Before I let nobody you... in St. Louis really uh, happy no. about that one right now. <laughs> no. Well, you know, some stragglers, but no. Couldn't we have hired this guy when Jeff, they were in Missouri? Jeff Fisher. God, that guy should be sued for coaching malpractice. <laughs> what he did. If there were golf. such a thing, yeah. Before I let you go, Tom, this is a blast. Uh, you know, it's hockey season starting, and I'm excited, but the two things I wanted to bring up involve strong ties of Philadelphia. I do have to say, stick tap to Scott Hartnell, retired today. It was uh, one of my favorite players to watch on Bias. I know he made But he a picked lot. up a new career. He's going to be the mascot for the Philadelphia. <laughs> oh, there it is. I thought it was Voracek. That's what I thought it was. Oh, well, there's enough gingers yeah. on the team. Uh, no, Hartnell was a beast. I love watching him yeah. play. He, he'll be remembered to me for that Penguins rivalry. That and his philanthropic just, efforts yeah. he was, and his acting chops, of course, as well. Um, this is 40. Yes, and this is 40. Um, every time he, he fell down, Scotty down, or Hartnell down, um, I believe he, he, he contributed some sort of uh, charitable yeah. contribution. Everybody just seemed to like him, you know, and he seemed like he was a great teammate, and he played a very physical style. He was, was the one to mess with, but 17-year career. I mean, he, he got the most out of it. So For not being the greatest, the greatest skill guy. No, exactly. Um, let's, let's Looking forward to it. We should go to Vegas in a couple days and go watch the home opener. For the oh, Vegas Knights. That would be incredible. Um, yeah, that would be incredible if we had the. Uh, what about ability. Vegas versus Flyers? Does Gritty travel? <laughs> <laughs> I don't I, think so. I, he's growing on you, right? Because. He start. We started off not liking. I we meaning all the personalities that I have in my. Right I now. mean, most Philly fans <laughs> it was disliked a bit, him originally. It was strange just because we haven't had a mascot for the Flyers in a long time. Hockey mascots are kind of far, uh, few and far between. I remember the Philadelphia Phantoms uh, had a mascot called Flex. Those were the games mm-hmm. that I would be going to uh, as a youngster, and Flex was always a fun mascot. Um, you know, streamlined, more of like a Green Man style suit, but it was yeah. purple. Uh, this one's a little bit uh, fanatic hybrid, and that's something that we don't like. And, and Big Shot as well. Big Shot being the old Sixers mascot from mm-hmm. the 80s. Um, that's more like what the Capitals kind of trot out there these days. But but he, with the, 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 the belly <laughs> the tug eyes. and the, the googly eyes and the, the you know squeaky hands, apparently in person he's a lot more... <laughs> nurturing than he would... You know, looks and like I he like frightens the, children. But... It does kind of embody what Philadelphia hockey fans kind of embody. 
and, you know, the backstory is that they were renovating the Wells Fargo Center and ended up finding him. Nobody knows how long he's been in the Wells Fargo Center, <laughs> and so he picked up some skating chops along the way. Doesn't seem like hey, he did. Best way to you know best what? way it's to make your best way to endear yourself to Flyers fan base: threaten to kill the Penguins mascot. Yeah, an hour into the job, it's, it, that was that was fantastic. He has already more followers than I mean. I think the Rockies mascot was calling him out because they were playing the Phillies at the time. Um, yeah, social media following. He's all over the place. I love the publicity that he has for the team. Um, right. Has been gotten. He's a national, international sensation. Um, he's growing on me because he's just so damn silly. They did it the right way in terms of publicity. Perfect marketing campaign. I said, I'm enjoying it growing on me. He's not my mascot. I'm enjoying just all the ridiculousness, the memes, just whatever happens with him. Uh, but it, it's different. I do think, though, that they're either going to have to teach, have this guy learn how to skate or just keep him off the ice because it's well, always an adventure out there. Well, he didn't have any skates on his shoes at the, um, yeah. on the first night. I think they're going to end up yeah. doing that in the future. Because that's a little tough to be walking out there without being able to see below yourself. Oh, yeah, especially if you're shooting can, you know, uh, T-shirt guns yeah. with, um, with the reverb on them. But it's fun. I'll see him flopping around cleaning the ice. Well, I can't wait for it. That's the weekly segment now. Just, what does everybody think of Gritty? We've been, yeah. <laughs> we've been doing it now two weeks in a row. It's fantastic. I do think, though, last thing. I think the Flyers going to be good this year. I do. I, I'm, yeah. I'm not. I think. I, I, I tell you what. I, I kind of sat the year out last year. Um, I was way into the to the process of Sixers basketball, and I'm still mm. kind of in that mode, uh, checking out a little bit on the Flyers. I, I usually kind of figure out who the heck they they have by by year's end. Um, is this the season where there's the Stadium Classic with the Penguins at Lincoln Financial Field? I think that's right. Yeah. I'm pretty I, sure. It's a stadium series game for oh, sure. that'll be an event. <laughs> it's, I think it's at Heinz Field. Yeah. And w- wish to be in Happy Valley, but but Heinz Field it is. And, that, and that'll be fun. Um, looking for, I mean, anything that they can provide is, is a spark. They have a really good young team. The uh, the goalie is, is really who we're excited to, to see next year, I believe, or later yeah. this year. Carter I, Hart. Yeah, he's, he's going to be a so player. That, and the goaltender has really been um, – um, I'll get excited once <laughs> the goaltender – and, you know, we have, haven't had a goaltender really since Ron Hextall, Bernie Perron. So. We'll see. I'm excited for them too. Hockey's back. But, uh, Tom, thanks for chatting football. This was fun. Quarter of the season done already. Jeez, just, time's flying. Just moving along here on the Money Mitch Effect. Thanks again. All right, huge thanks to Tom Weisenbach for coming on today's show. As always, breaking down the NFL. And the Chiefs kept rolling after we recorded their 4-0. There was a little controversy with that delay of game penalty, but no controversy in saying the Chiefs are legit. Mahomes is amazing. Again, down the stretch, throwing that one pass with his left hand. Uh, that guy is good. Mexico City showdown for a lot of football between now and when they play the Rams south of the border. All right, now it's time to talk to Jose Youngs. He writes for MMA Fighting now. We talk about Khabib versus Connor. A lot going on in the UFC fight game 229, headlining it all. Who will win that fight? And as well as the rest of the card, Tony Ferguson and Anthony Pettis, another good fight on there. We also talk a little baseball towards the end. He's a Red Sox fan. I'm an Indians fan. We'll see how optimistic we are. It's Jose Youngs on the Money Mitchell fight. All right, now joining us on the Money Mitch Effect to preview another big UFC pay-per-view 229, my good buddy, Jose Youngs. Jose, thanks for joining us. And uh, I know it's been a while, but congrats on the new gig at MMA Fighting. 
I think it's been since June, but yeah, I'm with MMA Fighting now, MMAfighting.com. So uh, it's the big leagues. I, I think they're the best site. So thanks for the congratulations, though. Well, you know, and, and I'm really, you know, obviously just happy seeing your development and what's going on. And, and I wanted to talk to you for a while with a, a lot of different UFC pay-per-views. Our schedules weren't really making that work. But having it worked for this one is kind of interesting because 229 is a big pay-per-view. It, it's got the headlines. It's actually pretty deep. But we're going to go into the fight card like we normally do. And it's actually surprisingly got some depth on it. But before so, just some general housekeeping and catching up here on the Money Mitch Effect. Jose, a lot's been going on outside the uh, this pay-per-view in the UFC. You've got Jones coming back from suspension soon. There's talks about you know another fight belt, another be- title belt at 165. If that's going to happen, some big name fighters are, are rumored to be in the mix down the road. Do you think it's been a little busier than normal, or is it just some of the bigger names or, or, or maybe self-promoting a little bit? I, I feel like there might be some bigger stories in addition to just this fight card. Well, Connor's coming back. That's obviously the biggest story. He's been gone for two years, but like coincidentally, like. A month later, Nate Diaz is also coming back. And then coincidentally, this month, John Jones can start coming back. So arguably three of the biggest stars in the UFC are all coming back around the same time. Gustafson's also apparently healthy. Brock Lesnar's supposed to come back beginning in 2019. Uh, they still have the 125-pound belt. So now you get more women matchup, uh, female matchups. The featherweight fight uh, title hasn't really been defended since December, last December, when Max beat Jose Aldo. That's finally going to be put on the line again. It's uh, it, it's just a lot. It's like a perfect storm of a lot of belt, a lot of injured champions coming back, a lot of champions on suspension coming back, Connor coming back. So it's it's just a perfect storm of uh, UFC uh, madness, I should say. Yeah, everybody seems to be coming back or announcing their comebacks at around the same time. You brought up Max Holloway. Good to see him back. He's going to be at, it looks like, 231. Uh, A lot of big fights coming up. I did want your opinion, though, on that idea. I think you were pro more belts. I think 165, if I have that right, was something you agreed with eventually having a title there. Yeah, I would say 165 and 195 should exist, maybe a 225. It'd make more more champion versus champion fights. They wouldn't suck a lot of the fighters out, like suck like suck them dry uh, when they cut weight, so they'd be healthier. We could avoid these things where you don't have a champion, like 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 right now, UFC 230 in New York City. Like it's it's a month away, and there's still technically no official headliner because all the champions have been tied up, or John Jones isn't back yet, or Daniel Cormier has a broken hand. It would it would allow more champions, it would allow more headline headlining fights. Like if Nate Diaz fought was fighting Dustin Poirier. For a belt, that could headline a pay-per-view. But if it doesn't have a belt, the UFC really likes to put title fights in main events, especially at Madison Square Garden. And it would, uh, it would really uh, open a lot of doors for promotion and for fighters to compete in multiple weight classes. And you've always said 230. And basically, anything that happens at Madison Square Garden UFC-wise, something crazy goes down. So oh, New York in general, because people forget that the uh, Habib Connor Dolly thing was in yeah. Brooklyn. And then, uh, like when the whole Chris Wyman putting his hand on the ground, getting kneed in the head against Gegard Mousasi, that was in uh, Buffalo. So, like, there's always whenever the UFC goes to New York, something ridiculous happens. We'll see. We got a lot to discuss though about this fight card. I think there's a great end of the year in sight, and even into 2019. But 229 October 6th, going back to Vegas for the T-Mobile Arena for a huge fight card. It's got five. Fight cards set for the main draw as always, but 
There's a good prelim and some good fight pass card fights as well. Sergio Pettis high, high, headlines, I should say, the non-main card fights he takes on. Uh, he has a big fight coming back at the flyweight division. But his fight or other fights, Jose, what really stands out to you for this undercard? There's a total of, looks like, seven fights. What stands out to you, uh, not counting the main event? Well, obviously, uh, Sergio and Cusier Formiga is the big one. That's the really important flyweight fight. Vincente Luca is a big deal. He's on a, he's, I think he's on a two-fight win streak, and he's won six or seven. But he's not just winning decisions. Like, he's knocking you out. His progression is pretty is, – is how you should do it. Like, his first fight with this hater, Hassan, that was a um, – uh, he won the – he fought in the Ultimate Fighter finale. And then it seems like every single fight, he gets one notch higher in terms of competition. He's not just getting thrown into the deep end. And he's still, like, knocking you out or submitting you. So he's doing both. He's not – doesn't have these boring fights so he's definitely someone uh, to pay attention to. Uh, Lena Landsberg is on the the fight pass card. She fought Cyborg uh, against Yana Kunitskaya, who also fought Cyborg. They're both dropping back down to bantamweight, which is the division they should be in. These are two women that went up in weight to fight Cyborg and got wrecked, and now they're dropping back to their healthier weight class. Tanya Evinger, same thing, is on the FS1 card. She's a former Invicta FC bantamweight champion. But then she went up in weight to fight uh, Cyborg on that uh, UFC 214, which was the the Jones DC fight card. So a lot of people might recognize her. She's dropping back down to her natural weight class. So pretty much four of the all four women on the prelims are in their natural weight and healthy weight class. So uh, fighters who don't really know only know of them in the ufc this this these are the fights where they're you're really going to see their skill set against women who are they're actually their size and then obviously you want to watch a great maynard he's the second yeah. fight on the <laughs> i was uh, gonna bring that up i mean great i can't believe he is still fighting the cleveland st ed's guy dolph ziggler's high school wrestling teammate uh and, and somebody that was just a beast and actually drew frankie edgar back in the day Always Not exciting only to watch him fight. Edgar, he beat Frankie Edgar in the first fight before either one was even a title contender. I mean, I think it was like what Frankie's second or third fight right, in the UFC. Right. Gray Maynard was like four and zero. Oh, so they, that's that's the definition of two prospects fighting each other early in their careers and then going on to great things. But for a while, you can make an argument. Gray Maynard was one of the ten best fighters on planet Earth. I mean, he did. He 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 beat Nate Diaz. He beat Jim Miller. He beat Frankie Edgar. He beat Kenny Florian. And these are all guys in their prime. And then he fights to a draw against Frankie Edgar in a fight a lot of people consider one of the greatest fights in UFC history. Uh, in a fight a lot of people also consider Gray Maynard won. I mean, if you watch that first round, if there's such thing as a 10-7 in the UFC, which has never happens, that first round, Gray Maynard should have got a 10-7. He basically did everything but decapitate Frankie Edgar <laughs> in that octagon. And then they obviously rematched immediately as you do, and then Frankie won in an incredible fight again. He's fallen on hard times. Yeah, he beat Clay Guida, but that was also kind of a very unnaturally boring fight for both men. But then if you look at the guys he's lost to, it's like TJ Grant at the time was a world beater, and then he got hurt and he had, was forced to retire. Loses to Nate Diaz, nothing to scoff at. Loses to Ross Pearson, nothing to scoff at. So he's losing to guys that are great and beating guys that obviously aren't at his level. Yeah, he did lose to Ryan Hall. But Ryan Hall's skill set is so bizarre. If you watch that fight, he didn't get hurt. Ryan Hall just did his thing, grappling thing and outpointed him and and won. It was very it was a very weird fight. So a great man is always someone to keep an eye on. He's beating guys that he should and losing to guys that are world class. So uh, and obviously Nick Lentz is in his, in the same shoes. He's he's been around forever. He's uh 
fought at featherweight and lightweight. So I'm uh, I'm pretty I'm pretty curious about this one to see which one keeps keep which one stays relevant. That's what this fight is about. Right, one of the OGs in Mayard, who's somebody that we'll see if he has it left. It's a good fight, a lot of good fights up until the main card. But Jose Young's on the money, Mitch. Effect. Let's talk about that main card, UFC 229. It starts with, I think, and I know I think you agree with this, an interesting women's strawweight fight between Michelle Waterson, a former Invictus champion, coming off uh, of a win. Two losses prior to that, she had a split decision over Casey in her last fight. She takes on Felice Herring, who lost to Carolina. No shame in that. It was a split decision. A lot of people thought she could have and might have actually won that fight. They're fighting at the straw weight, and I think this is something where it, it does seem, it does feel, at least from the outside, Jose, like a stepping stone fight. And let's be honest, the time to shine with a lot of eyeballs watching on this card. How would you break down this one? For Felice and Michelle, uh, it's... Uh... This is a fight I thought they had already fought before. I mean, these I know, these two women are some of the – it's hard to call them OGs because women's uh, MMAs they, – they both started around 09, 2010-ish, 2007-ish. So they've been, they've been fighting for about 10 years. They fought in pretty much everyone at their weight class. They've been fighting at either 115 or 105 their whole career, and they fought a who's who. I mean, you pick a, a female fighter below 125, these two women have fought them. They just never ran it. They, their paths just never crossed. And it's very strange that almost 10, 12 years later, they're finally fighting each other. I mean, when they announced that, I'm like, I feel like this is a rematch. And then I went back and I remembered there was this reality show, like when they were trying to capitalize on the Ultimate Fighter uh, when it first started. There was this reality show called Fight Girls, which is like a Muay Thai themed Ultimate Fighter type show. And these two were on it. I mean, this must have been back in. 2005, 2006, and they're the only two women I can remember. I'm pretty sure Gina Carano was one of the coaches. So, and this was like, they were very, very, very young in their career. It might have been on MTV2, might have been on Oxygen or something like that. So, it's very strange that these two, these two are finally fighting now, and it's on the biggest card ever. They're both very, very, very talented all around. I'm very much looking forward to this for both women. They're both also sweethearts, so uh, it's going to be tough to pick one in that fight. I know Michelle Waterson was on Bully Beatdown on MTV as well. I, yeah, I, know that was on, <laughs> I know that was on her card, too. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, I, I, and getting into the next fight with the heavyweight one between Derek Lewis and Alex Volkov, Jose, I think with MMA, a lot of maybe more than any other sport, you don't really realize how old some of these competitors are, and you might think one of them is older than the other. Volkov being only 30 years old is truly frightening to me because I feel like he's been fighting for such a long time. Derek Lewis, we, we remember, we tried to forget his last fight, didn't really go so well even though he got the win. But this fight against Volkov is a huge opportunity in the heavyweight division. Volkov beat Verdum, former heavyweight champ in his last fight, knocked him out. Derek Lewis, even though he won an ugly performance over Francis Nagano the last fight, it's a big match. And if Derek Lewis wins, I know there's the whole Brock Lesnar thing kind of holding up the division, but... The winner of this fight, you got to think, is right in the game for a heavyweight title shot. I've been saying this since they announced this fight. I mean, this is for the number one contender. I mean, yeah, if you could make an argument, the only there's two people that could take that fight instead. If Brock Lesnar comes back anytime soon, they're obviously going to give him the immediate title shot, especially after the whole nonsense with Daniel Cormier. If Curtis Blades puts it on Francis Ngannou in their rematch in Beijing later this year, and he just knocks him out in the first round, or he does what he did to Overeem, where he just dominates the whole fight and then ground pounds him. I would give the the title fight to Curtis Blades. He's he's beaten more. He's won more impressively against bigger names. 
But outside of those two scenarios, the winner of Derek Lewis and Alexander Volkov should 100% get the next title shot. I mean, Derek Lewis is what? I think like seven of eight, won seven of eight. And the only one he lost to was a knockout to Mark Hunt. I mean, who hasn't been knocked out by Mark Hunt? And that was a, yeah. that was fight of the night and it was really exciting. And it wasn't like a first round. It was like fourth or fifth round knockout. So he was doing well. Yeah, he did beat, he did beat Francis Ngannou. He himself said going into that fight, if I beat Francis, I should get a title shot. As soon as that fight was over, he was like, I don't deserve a title shot at all. Alexander Volkov actually weighed in during UFC 226 weekend when DC fought Stipe just in case one of them got hurt. Like if if like if remember what happened to Tony Tony Ferguson where right, he got hurt right, like yeah. fight. If Daniel or Stipe got hurt or some complications or whatever and they couldn't fight for the belt, Alexander Volkov went through an entire fight camp to be on standby. He was their standby fighter and even weighed in just in case. So Alexander Volkov pretty much already knew he was going to get a title shot. As soon as the Brock Lesnar thing happened, he's like, ah, well, I might as well fight somebody. Who's next up? And it's Derek Lewis. And, yeah, he knocked out Verdum, knocked out Struve, beat Nelson and Timothy Johnson, former uh, Bellator heavyweight champion too. So very exciting fight. I don't want to say don't blink because someone's going to sleep because I said the same thing when Derek fought Francis did. and it didn't work out. So I'm not going to say don't blink, but this one has fireworks written all over it. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I hope they engage. I think that's the that's the key, and I hope it, it isn't just a feeling out process for three rounds. I noticed, though, Jose, before we move on, is Stipe, that was a name you didn't say, is he somebody that's in the mix for a rematch? I mean, he was... He did set the record for most heavyweight title defense. He should. Daniel did say that he would he would rematch. He would have no problem rematching Stipe if if Brock Lesnar can't make it because Daniel Cormier does have that hard deadline of where he's going to retire at forty years old, whether he fights Brock or John Jones ever again or not. So he's set. He's set on that. If if he is on record saying if Brock Lesnar can't make the date, he has no problem rematching Stipe. He he himself said if Brock Lesnar wasn't in the mix. He would be getting ready to rematch Stipe. So that could play a factor. Stipe is just so – what's the word? Like you don't hear a lot about him. Like he's not a big guy, trash talker on Twitter or anything. So you don't really know where he is right now. He did just have a daughter. He's still doing the firefighter thing. So you got to be one you – you, I have no idea where his headspace is. He's definitely under the radar when it comes to uh, a lot of these other fighters. And I do think he's worthy of fighting again at a high level and at – the highest level but it's unfortunate for a lot of these guys that the big money fights are out there we've been over this before i mean cormier deserves to make the money off of a brock lesnar fight so yeah. he holds the cards right now as he should all right jose young's money mitch effect moving along this fight card everyone's every one of these fight cards it seems and rightfully so has a fight on the main card that's a proven solid guy maybe not the best in the world or in that realm taking on somebody that could be special that needs to be tested and i think that's what this fight is ovin st Pru, 35 years old he is light heavyweight 23 and 11 in the U in his mixed martial arts career he's taken on dominic reyes who is 9 and 0 jose i don't know too much about him i watched his last fight when he just brutally uh, annihilated jared kerner and i don't know if he has it but this will be a good fight i would think to see if if he's on his way what do you know about reyes and if he's legit or not in terms of fighting with the best in this light heavyweight division he is legit uh he does he he's one of those guys that he's gonna look for the knockout but he does have underrated ground game he does have a few submission wins i think he's only been to the decision once it might have been his first fight ever he had a pretty devastating head kick knockout at lfa 
which got him a contract from the UFC where he won that fight and the UFC was so impressed by his win they gave him a contract. I believe that knockout actually made SportsCenter's uh, top 10 plays or whatever because it was so devastating. And then he's he's 3-0 in the UFC with three first-round finishes, I believe two TKOs and one submission. He's the definition of a prospect. He's pretty rough around the edge. He's pretty raw. He's only 28 years old, which is a baby at light heavyweight, considering Daniel Cormier, the champion, is 40. And like you said, uh, Ovin St. Proof's 35, former Tennessee volunteer football player. This is a good step for him. He's coming off that submission win over Tyson Pager, who, again, Tyson Pager was in, was in Dominic Reyes' shoe for a while, too, where Tyson Pager was looked at as this uh, this hot, this highly touted up-and-coming prospect that could be the next guard at 205 pounds, and then they give him Ovin St. Peru and he loses. So this is another test. Ovin St. Peru says he has no problem playing that role. He's already lost to John Jones. He's lost to a lot of guys uh, in the top. He's lost to Ozdemir and Manoa, Jones, Glove to share. He's lost to the people you expect him to lose to. So he's like, yeah, I'm not going to get a Telstra anytime soon. Might as well w- welcome all of these up-and-coming prospects. So he's pretty much, if, if you follow the lightweight division, Jim Miller is in that same position where he's had like 30 UFC fights. He's not getting a title fight soon. So they just keep giving him these up-and-coming guys to test them, and they accept that role. And if he strings together a few more wins, there's no reason you can't think Ovin St. Pru can't make another run. But... This is a very interesting fight. This is a massive step up for Dominic Dominic Reyes, and I'm pretty surprised they're giving him to him this early in his career. Yeah, just the baby in that light heavyweight division. I'm excited for this fight. What would be? Um, I mean, you're a, you're a comic guy. What would it, is it? Hemdall from Thor. He's, o- he's like yeah. the ga- he's like the gatekeeper. Yeah, exactly. He is, Ovin St. Pru is in that gatekeeper position. Like Corey Anderson strings together a couple wins. They give him Corey Anderson, and then Ovin St. Pru head kicks him, and then they give him Elair Latifi who is in a kind of similar position. He's rattled off a few wins. He's like seven or eighth ranked light heavyweight, and he and he submits Ovin St. Preux. So Ovin St. Preux is like that guy you face either to get over the hump or test someone. We'll see. I, I, I expect Ovin St. Preux to win. I think he just has more uh, experience. He has a lot. He has, what is it? What's it called? Uh, the Von Flu choke. He has two. No, he has three Von Flu chokes in his career, and I think there's only been four in the UFC, and Ovin St. Preux has three of them. Uh, so it's he knows how to win from any position. I expect him to win, but I it's that's not a knock on Dominic Reyes. I just think Ovin St. Preux's he's Ovin St. Preux's too much for him at this point in his career. We're all on the lookout for that fight, Jose. The second last fight on this card. I'll be honest. If it wasn't for the main event and all that comes with it, I'd be pretty excited with this being being the best fight on the card with Anthony Pettis taking on Tony Ferguson in a fight that a lot of people. A lot of true UFC MMA purists are really dying to see Tony Ferguson, who has won 11 straight fights, 23-3 MMA record, but hasn't fought since beating Kelvin Lee by a triangle choke in October of 2017. Was supposed to fight Khabib, had to pull out of that fight. The rest uh, is history there as where we're at right now in the main event card. He fights Anthony Pettis, who the last time we talked, I believe, he was fighting. And uh, he's a guy who, 21-7, and but as you said, Got ran his record up, was on Wheaties boxes, was at the top of the mountain, got knocked off that perch, and had to battle to get back into this position to fight for a huge, huge victory. Ferguson and Pettis finally fighting in the UFC. How excited are you for this fight? And you think it will live up to the hype that a lot of us have been craving for? I'm excited for this fight because I'm always excited to watch Tony Ferguson and Anthony Pettis fight. I'm pretty disappointed that... Tony Ferguson and Habib Nurmagomedov are on the same card and they're not fighting each other. 
that really does bug me. Uh, they, they've been scheduled to fight four times, and either I think two, like Ferguson's pulled out it twice, and Abib's pulled out twice. So it's not like one guy is always ruining it. It's both of their faults. If Tony Ferguson had beat Habib, if Tony Ferguson had injured his knee in April and fought Habib and beat Habib, we'd be doing Tony versus Connor right now. It is weird to me that I don't know how healthy he is. Tony is, I don't know anyone, any human alive that can get suffer that bad of a knee injury yeah, in April. And yeah, injure his knee that badly from a freak accident in April and then fight in October. I don't know any human alive. Yeah, Tony's a crazy man. And he does all this crazy yeah. training and he goes up to Big Bear and he, he builds his own like sparring equipment. So it's he's out there. He's a very interesting cat. Anthony Pettis is very detail oriented. He's been when Rufus Sport pretty much his whole career. I love this fight. It, this does remind me of the Dustin Poirier Anthony Pettis fight where one person uh, it's two guys who are always looking for some, uh, either a knockout or a submission. You take Anthony Pettis down. He has the record for most stoppage wins off his back in UFC, Pride, WEC, and Strikeforce history. Uh, same it happened with Michael Chiesa. It happened with uh, Dustin Poirier. I mean, not Dustin Poirier. Um, Gilbert Melendez. It happened with Charles Oliveira where they take him down and he either triangle chokes them or guillotines them from the bottom. And he cuts them up with uh, elbows. He did the same thing to Benson Henderson. So Anthony Pettis can beat you literally any position. I mean, he ran on a cage against Benson Henderson and kicked him in the head. <laughs> Tony Ferguson's the same way where he's literally doing like a mariachi dance in the octagon while he's fighting Rafael Dos Anjos, a former champion. I wish this was five rounds. I really think Tony Ferguson, a former the, the interim champion technically, he never he got stripped because he got hurt. He should be in a five-round fight. I wish this was a five-rounder. I get why they put it on this card because if Khabib gets hurt or pulls out again like he always does, they need a replacement. Where Say Habib misses weight because he was supposed to fight Tony Ferguson and had complications with his weight cut and he couldn't fight. If that happens, it's Connor. Tony Ferguson is already in camp and in shape, can step up and fill that slot. So I get why they did it. I just wish this was a five-round fight. Yeah, I do too. I think a five-round fight would be more of a war. This is going to just, I would think, just be nonstop action for, for three rounds if it gets that far. I do wonder, though, Jose, what happens then for Pettis? Is he without a dance partner? Yeah, he'd, he'd, be, he'd be without a dance partner. Mm -hmm. it's, happened, it's happened before. It happened, it happened at UFC 223. Uh, Anthony Pettis was on, that, was on the card that uh, Connor threw the dolly through the window uh, Tony Ferguson was supposed to fight. Uh, Tony Ferguson was originally going to fight Habib. Tony Ferguson gets hurt. Max Holloway steps up. Max Holloway is deemed medically unfit, so they were going to do uh, Anthony Pettis or Paul Felder. Neither of them. I don't know what the details were. I heard like, oh, some of them wanted more money. Some people said that Athletic Commission wouldn't let them move up. So I Quinta ended up fighting him, and then his original opponent lost out on his fight. So. It's a whole bunch of nonsense, but yeah, Tony Ferguson should be there on standby if he stays healthy. I mean, he got hurt literally like days before he was supposed to fight Habib. So until he's in the cage, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say, he's, I'm not gonna be excited until I actually see him get in the octagon. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, there is a lot of that. I think you always say like, until I see the cage door door shut, I'm not gonna believe it. I think there's a lot of that on this <laughs> on this card. Oh, 100 percent. So we'll see, Jose Youngs. It's the time to preview the main event: Conor McGregor, Khabib, one on one. Finally, after all that's been said and done, Khabib undefeated. Conor, back in the UFC again after 
really just setting the world on fire. It, it's an understatement. Taking over combat, combat sports, winning two title belts, holding the featherweight and the lightweight belt that now Khabib owns, fighting Floyd Mayweather in boxing, all that stuff. He's back to make a lot of money and to settle a score. I do want to start with this. Do you think without question this will be the biggest pay-per-view of all time for the UFC? Uh, um, in terms of pay-per-view buys, it's either going to be really close or mm. or beat it. This is the first fight card where I say anything below 1.2 million is a failure. If they, do a million, if they do a pay-per-view buy, if they do 1 million pay-per-view buys, that's a disappointment. If they do 1.1, that's a disappointment. They do 1.2... 1.2, 1.25, then I'll be like, all right, that's pretty, that's that's a good number. 1.25 should be the benchmark of what people should be getting, should should predict in terms of buys, because that's getting real close to the all time record. I think Connor not fighting for so long is going to play a factor. People are going to be interested in him coming back. He is fighting Habib, which with the whole Dolly thing. The problem is I don't know how much how much the casual fans know about Habib. Pretty much, he's the guy that Connor tried to fight in a in a, in a bus. Like they don't know anything about his fighting style. It's not like he has the storyline of Nate Diaz, where Nate Diaz beat him and then they're re- right now. Nate Diaz Connor is the most bought pay per view, and that had the that had the storyline. Yeah, right. Like, the second one. Yeah, exactly. The mm-hmm. the sequel. So that had the storyline of Nate. They're rematching again, non title fight. Connor wants to fight at one seventy to prove he can do it. Uh, he's he's going to take it seriously. Nate Diaz. For as rough around the edges as he is outside the octagon, he can sell a fight. I mean, he has a very devoted uh, following. I mean, he he's a cult hero to, to MMA fans. So, and he especially in the Nor- NorCal, a lot of people that don't associate with like Connor's affluent lifestyle of always flaunting money, they can really relate to Nate Diaz and Nick Diaz. So that was a perfect storm right there. I don't know if the storyline is there outside of the dolly throwing. So anything below one point two is a disappointment to me. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I also do think, I mean, we know how, you know specifically how McGregor press conferences go, even the one that wasn't open to the public, how it gets theatrical. Uh, he was promoting his, his whiskey company even. I do think you could tell Khabib is not trying to, to dive into that, to dive into that sort of thing. And, and while it might be good for his chances in this fight, it's not going to sell the fight to the mainstream like, these two guys are crazy. Look at them go. It's just Connor doing his normal thing. So I get that to a point. On the fighting side, I think you do have questions going into this fight for both guys and fair ones. For Connor, it's clear, Jose, he just hasn't fought. He hasn't been in an octagon in a very long time. So do you consider Rust a factor? And I guess to follow on that with the flip side, has Khabib ever come close to fighting someone as talented as Connor? Do you think he'll be up for the challenge? Yeah, the, I, both guys are up. The The question is not, are both are, is anyone up for the challenge? Is anyone ready? I mean, Habib is one of the most mentally strong people I've ever met. He's one of the most people I've, I've ever uh, interviewed. I mean, this is an undefeated Dagestani Sambo champion. He used to wrestle bears as a kid to prepare for tournaments. So he's not – you're not going to get in his head. Conor McGregor, yeah, he does show emotion, but that's his thing. When that octagon door closes – He's ready to throw down. I mean, you saw how laser-focused he was against Nate Diaz, and that's one of the best fights I've ever seen. It's not the best fight ever, like the UFC calls it, but it's definitely up there. In terms of, like, skill set, I could honestly – you could make an argument that Edson Barbosa is a better pure striker than Conor McGregor. Conor might hit harder with his left hand. He might be more accurate. But Edson Barbosa's 
threat with his leg kicks and his like spinning back wheel kicks and his very underrated boxing, you can make a very good argument that Edson Barbosa is just a better striker. I'm not saying a better MMA fighter. Mm-hmm. If they're in a straight Muay Thai fight, it would be hard not to pick Edson Barbosa. And Habib Nurmagomedov put like beat the soul out of him at UFC 219. It was like 30-27 across the board performance of the night, which you never really see performance of the night bonuses in a decision win. It's always like, oh, he had the craziest knockout. It was so dominant, he got a bonus. And Ty Quinta, which was a late-notice opponent, and everyone's saying, oh, Habib Nurmagomedov can't even beat Ally and Quinta in five rounds. Habib got two 50-43 scorecards, which means he had two 10-8 rounds, which is unbelievable. Yeah, I, I and we've been over this before too. When somebody fills in, you're not fully preparing for them, and and he dominated that fight. I mean, what what does everybody want him to do? He fights a certain way, and he dominated that fight. I'm just so intrigued by this fight stylistically, Jose, as I'm sure you are. Like, take it, it's hard; it might be impossible, but take all the drama, take all the dolly throwing, take everything uh, away from all this. These are two guys that fight different styles, and you don't know what's going to happen. When that octagon door does shut, assuming that it does, we want to get to that point, all the possibilities are endless. Will Connor be able to get that quick left hand off and put a hurt on, on Habib, or will he get will he get taken down? Because that's what Habib does. I mean, these guys clearly don't like each other. I just want to see stylistically who can get the advantage and create the advantage and fight their fight. I agree. I mean, I for all the dolly throwing, all the trash talk, all like the people excited for Connor, like, this is a high. These are two high-level martial artists going to throw down who are the best at their respective. These are the best fighters at lightweight. Conor and Habib are the best. Everyone keeps saying like, "Oh, Conor's fought wrestlers before." He has never fought a wrestler as good as Khabib Nurmagomedov. Khabib Nurmagomedov could be the best wrestler in the, all of the UFC. That's also counting Daniel Cormier, Yoel Romero, and George Saint Pierre. Khabib could be the best, especially because his pace that he puts on, where he's always going forward. He has very underrated um, head movement where, yeah, he can get clipped. Everyone points to the Michael Johnson fight. Everyone points to his fight against Edson Barbosa where he's, he got a few slipped in or Ally Quinta. He has very underrated head movement. He trains at American Kickboxing Academy, which is Javier Mendez, one of the best coaches ever. But Connor's left hand is such a deadly weapon and such a game changer. If he lands that once clean – Habib's never fought anything like that before either. Like, yeah, I brought up Edson Barbosa. Edson landed a few punches. If you allow Conor McGregor to land those punches, you're not going to survive one round. In my opinion, this is going to go one of two ways. It's going to go be Conor just melting him right away, or Habib's going to drag him into the deep waters and either submit him or do what he did to uh, Ally Quinta, where he just, just drowned him for five rounds. It's not going to be close, in my opinion. It's either Habib. It's either Habib's going to dominate for five rounds, or Connor's going to melt him in one in inside two. It's going to be one or the other. It's going to be a beat. It's going to be a dominant display for either man. I don't think it's going to be close. I agree. I'm curious to see who you who are going to pick. I'm going with Khabib okay. though. I'm going with Khabib. I think he wins this fight. Yeah, I. It's hard, man. I know. It's, it, real hard. it's, it's a play, good chance for wrong. I will play devil's advocate. Because we all, you and I all usually pick the same fighters because there's a lot such clear, mm-hmm. like when, when a lot of times you know who's gonna win. Like they're just better. This is so evenly matched. I'll just play devil's advocate, and I will say Connor will win inside two. If he Khabib will has gotten clips before, 
Connor hits harder than anyone he's ever fought. Habib struggles making weight. That's a known fact. If you look at his, if you, they both fought at UFC 205. If you watch them weigh in side by side, Connor looks fit. He looks healthy. He looks in shape. Like you can see the muscles and everything. Habib looks completely sucked out and completely dehydrated. I don't know how his weight cut's going. So I'm going to say that doubt will play a huge factor in his cardio. So I'll say Connor wins inside two by TKO. And I don't think it's going to be on the level of his uh, perfect game against Eddie Alvarez. But I'll say Connor wins inside two. Okay. Well, I'm excited, man. You know why I'm excited is because it's probably most likely going to end with a convincing victor, and we won't have to go to the scorecards and ruin another pay-per-view like the last boxing experience I had. So I'm excited about that. <laughs> I'm still bitter. I, I'm trying to shake that, but I'm just I'm still bitter about Triple G, but I don't want to <laughs> keep that going. Uh, Jose Youngs, this was fun. I can't let you go, though, on the Money Mitch Effect with asking you your thoughts about the MLB playoffs and yeah. the Boston Red Sox. Are we are we still riding high, or are we worried a little bit about that bullpen? Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm always worried. I mean, I'm a Red Sox fan. You're, you're worried up until they're eliminated or they won the World Series. and But you're also not counting them out until they're officially eliminated. I mean, that's that's just proven that we can, we can survive. The Yankees terrify me. The A's terrify me. The Indians, they're, like your Indians, I, I never count Terry Francona out. But I think out of all the teams that are in the playoffs right now, I think we have the best chance of being the Indians. That's fair. The Astros always, obviously, they're the defending champions, so they scare me. The American League is horrifying. Like literally, any one of these teams could, could win the national, could win the American League. And I think all of these teams, if they were in the National League, they would be the clear favorites. I think the World Series is going to come out of the American League, but it's tough, man. The, Chris Sale been, been on the DL too much, but at the end of the year. The bullpen is the definition of shaky. It's I don't know. I'm 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 hopeful, but I was hopeful last year when we did well, and you saw how that turned out. Yeah, you were pretty <laughs> you were pretty excited going forward into that into that week last year. But the Astros were tough. I think this year your team has a clear advantage. I think we're both in agreement that we'd like to see some money balling and seeing Oakland knock out the Yankees. That'd be pretty. Oh my God, that nothing <laughs> would make me happier. That'd be pretty sweet, but uh, Yankees, Red Sox, I do have to admit it as much as I hate to. That would be a pretty pretty well-watched, popular divisional round matchup. If we do face the Yankees, though, I would much rather face them in the ALCS. I mean, that's just more exciting. True. I mean, the, the experience is there. I just think the AL playoffs is going to be such a gauntlet. I, I do think the Indians, from my perspective, their hitting depth is a little suspect, and you just don't know what you're getting out of Trevor Bauer. It basically comes down to Kluber in game one for me. That will, the uh, the optimism level will will swing a lot one way or the other for me. I like I said, I love Terry Francona. I think he can manage anyone to the World Series. If you guys get past the Astros, then I'll be really nervous. But if you like take him to Game Seven and everyone is close, and we somehow survive the LDS, then I'll be like, all right, I think we could take this. But if you just say you guys beat the Astros four one. Then I'm going to be like, ah, I don't well, want to fix these guys right now. Well, you know, I love that best of five series, though, to oh, win that first round. Just because I, I feel that. like if Kluber gets dealing early on the road, then the pressure sh- shifts. And it's very knows. true. But, I, yeah, I, you guys are so tough. If you can just shore that bullpen up, it's going to be tough for anybody to beat the Red Sox. But, hey, the playoffs, man, it's a different beast. It's who gets hot. That's, that's what's exciting well, next, about it. Next time we talk, hopefully we're playing each other in the playoffs. <laughs> I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I, I, I definitely feel more confident that you're going to get there but 
Jose Youngs, this was fun. Last question, MMA-related, UFC-related. Just out of curiosity, if you had to guess, who's George St. Pierre's next fight against? Uh, the winner of Connor Habib. I, I, yeah, Connor. That's what I was thinking, too. I, that... It just makes too much sense, doesn't it? The way we're going with super fights and how Dana White loves making money. Is I don't know if the UFC would allow George to fight for the lightweight title, knowing that he wouldn't stick around. They don't want him to win the title and then be like, "Ah, I'm not. I don't want to fight lightweight anymore," and just like take give up the belt again. But as we know, as we know, Connor doesn't really like defending titles. (laughs) It's true, but like if when George won the middleweight belt and then like a week later gave it up. Like, I, they don't want that to happen again. So maybe you could have him fight Tyron. I'd be really interested in that. Rematch against Nate, Nick Diaz would be fun. I've been waiting for his fight against Anderson Silva for 12 years. So let's get that done. <laughs> yeah, I think we're running out of time with that fight. Uh, Jose, pleasure. Best of luck with MMA fighting. Everyone check his stuff out. And we'll be ch- chatting again for sure. But thanks for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. Anytime, man. That's it for today's show. Big thanks to both guests, Tom Weisenbach and Jose Youngs, for appearing. Thanks to Brian Nelson for supplying the artwork, Tim Adams for supplying the beats. And thank everybody out there for listening and spreading the word on the show as we keep growing over two full years of doing this podcast. Thanks to each and every one of you. Check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page. Follow me at Twitter, MoneyMitchM21. And find every episode of the Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. And another reminder, every Friday, this other podcast that I host, Running With The Money, with Kent Brown and Matt Gothard, college football sports betting podcast. New episode drops every Friday. We're 3-1-1 one, one on our Money Makers pick. So every every time we make a pick, we try to do it in the best interest of uh, the general public. 3-1-1 one, one on the year. That's a pretty, pretty solid record. Check that out. I am Mitch Michaels. This was The Money Mitch Effect. Hope you have a great week. Until next time, keep enjoying sports. <laughs>